when you pay your electric bill, you're actually paying to block clean energy. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Power. Don't we all agree we need and deserve at least some power over our lives? Isn't that the essence of democracy? We get to govern ourselves. Systems such as autocracy place the power in one man. Yeah, and it's always a man. Systems of corporatocracy have us yielding our power to the interests of big money. That's been going on a long time. In all political systems, the struggle for power is inherent. Stability requires enough power sharing to keep the masses from feeling a need to rise in anger at being denied the power that is rightfully shared by all, or at least enough. And when something becomes more than a mere consumer choice to take it or leave it, we're uh, choosing from competitors when it becomes something we all actually need to live. It goes under the category of public utility, like water. Our transportation system, we can't depend on the will and profitability as dictated by the capitalist system alone. Same goes for electricity. But wait a minute, aren't a lot of us paying a lot for the electricity we need? And to private for-profit corporations? Yes, the few in the boardrooms oftentimes make all the decisions about what kind of electric power sources there are and where they shall be located. Regulations, yeah, there are some. Aren't they often fairly strict and necessary to protect and serve the common good? Well, yes, they are. In the face of price gouging by private electric utilities during his administration in the 1930s, FDR established the New York Power Authority, which became the largest state public utility in the country. And now, well into the 21st century, in the opposite direction, there are powerful interests that want all the power themselves. Don't even consider the notion of the common good. But guess what? There are more of us than of them. And though they prefer us to believe we have no power, oh, indeed we do. Today, we're going to shed some light on a very encouraging example in the tradition of Franklin Roosevelt. With us today uh, to talk about it are people from the uh, New York uh, group that put together a a New York uh, Power uh, Public Renewables Act. Our Two guests are Amber Ruther, who's been organizing for policies to fight climate change by phasing out uh, fossil fuels since 2016. Uh, she's been working with the Democratic Socialists of America and now with the Alliance for a Green Economy, called AGREE, great title for short. Amber has been organizing for a publicly owned, democratically controlled energy system since 20. 20- 18 through Public Power New York Coalition, which recently passed the Build Public Renewables Act in New York State. Our other guest on the line is Charles Nieves. Uh, He began his activism with efforts to conserve wildlife, which led to uh, tabling efforts and collaborations uh, on information sheets with the Red Wolf Coalition and the Center for Biological Diversity. Uh, And in the aftermath of the disastrous 2016 elections, he wanted to do more and began to get involved in climate organizing. And uh, more recently, he took over as chair of the Eco-Socialist Working Group. And he, it was here that uh, he learned of the Public Power New York Coalition, and they've done some good things. Well, thank you so much, Amber and Charles, for being with us and keeping democracy alive. Tell us, please, about the Build Public Renewables Act. What does it do, and how did it come to be? You there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for having us both on board. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll talk a little bit uh, about the, uh, you know, some of the background uh, behind the Build Public Renewables Act. So, um, basically, we, you know, we kind of started as a coalition in 2018, 2019, and, and uh, we helped research and basically draft the uh, Build Public Renewables Act. And the original vision was basically an energy system that was publicly owned and democ- and democratically controlled oh. and could phase out fuels regardless of how profitable they are because it just needs to be done to save the planet. And, you know, the thing is, though, we also want to be ensure that renewables were built with good union jobs, yes. benefit the companies they're in, and create a just transition with retraining opportunities for fossil fuel industry workers. Mm. And, you know, the thing we need, so we need a BPRA, basically... You know, a couple of scary things I'll throw out at you. New York, to this day, still only gets roughly 5% of its electricity from wind and solar. Barrett, right? And only 29% from all renewables, including NIPA's pre-existing hydropower. You know, we just don't have, as currently planned, enough renewable projects on the pipeline ready to meet the CLCPA's target of 70% renewable energy by 2030. And by CLCPA, I mean the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act, uh-huh. which was the land law that New York State passed in 2019 that was supposed to be getting us to renewables. Now, yes. I was going to ask, you know, people, people like cheap energy. And let's face it, uh, coal is the dirtiest. There are a lot of jobs there. And they're going to be eliminated. They have to be because we just can't continue to do that. If it's democratically controlled, and a lot of people say, "Hey, we don't care about green energy. We we want uh, you know cheap energy." How does how's that going to work? Yeah, I'm happy because uh, you know I I think the great thing about the Build Public Renewables Act is those two things are definitely not at odds. Um, yeah. Build Public Renewables will actually help make energy more affordable for almost everyone in New York because um, solar and wind are basically the cheapest forms of energy that we have. If you really think about it, it's because there is no fuel input required um, and it's a relatively low maintenance system. So um, the sun is free. No one owns the sun. The wind is free. No one owns the wind. And that's exactly why the fossil fuel industry hates it so much because they own fossil fuels and they can profit from that, but they cannot profit from wind or solar um, as easily. And um, that's why it's so cheap, but also why it's not getting built because it's just not as profitable as, as something that they can charge a lot for. Um, so we really, really needed the public sector to also be able to step in and act as a guarantee that we're going to meet our renewable targets, um, even if it's not profitable and mm-hmm. treat energy more as a public good. A public good. What a concept. <laughs> I know. And, and FDR, you know, certainly had that in mind. And there's a lot to talk about here about what this is, when it became law, many, many things there. And it's really, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it, that it could be sort of uh, replicated uh, in other states around the country. How does this, this the new uh, Build Public Renewables Act relate to what Franklin Roosevelt started, his vision and his intent? Yeah, I think, um, you know, FDR really started the New York Power Authority because he recognized that um, water is a public 
arrested um, and he was trying to protect New York's hydroelectric resources from what were called water barons back in the day that were really trying to form these monopolies over um, the hydro dams that they were building. Um, So he definitely had the original vision of treating energy as a public good. Mm-hmm. Um, and another great thing about NIPA is, you know, they, they have a track record of providing the most affordable energy in the state already. Um, they are, they already provide around 25% of New York's energy. So yeah, NIPA is, um, you know, an entity that is technically a public benefit corporation, so they can issue the bonds to finance all of their renewable projects. So the Build Public Renewables Act is completely revenue neutral. It's not going to be raising anybody's taxes to pay to build these renewable projects. Instead, it's going to be financed with NIPA's really low-cost bond issuances, Uh as well as progressive electric rates um, to ensure that low to moderate income people Uh living in disadvantaged can get uh, a discount on their energy bill because we've seen you know over a million households in new york cannot afford their utility bills right now and are 60 days or more behind on those bills and they're at risk of having their energy be shut off so we really view that that bill discount that the build public renewables act would provide as a way to provide much needed relief to those families who need it the most um And I I think only NIPA would be able to provide energy um, as affordably as they can. And now that the Inflation Reduction Act passed at the federal level, um, the New York Power Authority can access the same federal tax credits that private solar developers can. So they can definitely build renewables um, as, as cheaply or more cheaply than private developers can. Uh, that's interesting about you know the costs of capital. I mean, you often hear you know wait that uh, uh, in order for there, there to be any substantial capital project, uh, there's got to be some some profit involved. And so it sounds like the reality is here that uh, given that it's public and that there's a new law about this, that uh, the costs of financing are less than it would be if it were a for-profit corporation. I like the sound of that. that that's uh, really good. Well, how, how did, um, did, did, how did this, there must have been some significant resistance. How long has this been going on, the, the effort to create NIPA? Uh, when did it start and, and how difficult was it in the Statehouse? Was there a lot of pressure from private, you know, for-profit energy companies? And what was it like in the Statehouse? So I think I can speak a little bit to that. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, like I said, our coalition kind of started this uh, process in 2018, 2019. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, we time. basically, you uh, know, yeah, yeah, for real, right? You know, you're talking right about this point that CLCPA got passed. And, um, yeah, right from the beginning, there was definitely uh, organized resistance. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, we're talking, um, you know, groups like the Independent Power Producers of New York. They definitely, you know, they did not want this bill to pass at all. And, yeah, they definitely leaned on some legislators. I mean, this bill's been introduced a couple of times in, you know, through uh, several legislative uh, sessions. Um, 2021, there was um, some actions actually involved in the, there was blocking uh, roadways because, like, legislators just weren't, 
Uh, you know, not enough of them were being serious about uh, getting it passed. Uh-huh. Uh, 2020, yeah, 2022, it actually passed towards the end of the session. It actually passed the state Senate. But uh, lo and behold, the Assembly, uh, Speaker Carl Hasty refused to bring it to a vote. And, um, you know, so, you know, that, and the thing is, though, we managed to build up enough pressure on him. I mean, we even got it to be like the number one trending uh, thing in New York politics on Twitter that last week of the campaign. And like we were hearing back from legislators, they were getting like hundreds of calls a day. on. So he was actually forced in a very unprecedented move to actually go ahead and call a uh, special uh, hearing in, I believe it was the end of July, to talk about this bill. And then, um, the, then the pressure continued onward to uh, this session where uh, the Senate decided they were going to pass it very early in the session, you know, placing a heavy priority on it. Uh-huh. And, and, the, and then the governor, also feeling the pressure, um, started first with introducing several very scaled back versions of the bill. So she tried to introduce versions that, like, did not include the mandate to build or did not include the labor provisions. Um, so we fought that. Um, you know, we alongside uh, IBW. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, knock on wood, IBW weren't always our natural allies, right. but you know, sometimes, sometimes fate works in weird ways. Um, in another campaign, not to deal too much from the attack, but in another campaign, one of our organizers who was involved both on a local front and with Public Power New York started a conversation with Patrick Guidas, who's the you know head of uh, LIPA out here at the island. And lo and behold, you know, he started getting plugged in at that at that uh, at that hearing in August. He actually testified that Bill Public Renewables had like the some of the best labor provisions he had ever seen. Wow. You know, that ended up being big because when, you know, when Hoka was out there threatening to, uh, you know, not include the labor provisions, he made some phone calls too. Um, definitely, you know, we made our phone calls. We made it known that you know, not having the labor protections was a non-starter and we got it. You know, that's, you know, I think almost, you know, you know one thing that does happen, hundreds ahead. of phone calls, they work, they work. They work. Something it's else. true. And it's, it's been amazing to me how so many people have been convinced since the days of the Vietnam war protest that, Oh, our voices don't matter. Well, they do. They absolutely do. And, you know, people say, oh, it's up against big money. That there are voices versus big money. Well, the whole point of big money is to buy ads to win votes. If you don't win the votes, the money, you know, isn't, isn't worth anything. So when they hear, being a former legislator myself, when they hear from a lot of people, it absolutely matters and the union wow they are powerful that's that's for sure and uh you know to have them on your side there's so much you know uh, and for those who may have just tuned in bert cohen here the show is keeping democracy alive we're talking about nipa the new york uh public build public renewables act uh that uh is currently law it took a lot of heavy lifting and we're speaking with uh, a couple of the movers and shakers behind making this really good law happen amber ruther and charles nieves and uh, it's about uh, new york there but it doesn't just apply to new york it applies to uh, you know it, it, it's like a something that, that perhaps can be uh, replicated throughout the country and you mentioned earlier 
the Inflation Reduction Act. Democrats are rarely, if ever, good at blowing our own horn. The Biden administration passed the Inflation Reduction Act. What does that have to do? What does it have the potential to do relative to NIPA? Yeah, you can definitely expand on that. Um, so one of the reasons that the CEO of NIPA or the interim CEO, Justin Driscoll, actually opposed the Build Public Renewables Act um, in the beginning was because he claimed that NIPA couldn't access the same federal tax credits that private solar developers can, um, which is true because NIPA is a public entity, so they don't actually pay taxes, so they can't get those tax uh-huh. credits. So. Uh-huh. One of the many, many things that were included in the uh, IRA around climate, um, which also included a lot of things like tax credits for heat pumps and electric vehicles, um, is a direct pay provision that would allow any public utility to get the same um, tax credits uh, just in the form of direct pay. Um, So it's really a quiet revolution on public power, I think, in that IRA, because it really empowers publicly owned utilities to do more than they they used to be able to. Um, And yeah, just speaking, expanding on what Charles said before, I I think this is really a great template for how to get things done on, on climate in Albany. Um, you know, this really started as a grassroots campaign and we were not afraid to agitate and create a lot of outside pressure. It was largely led by volunteers and groups like the Democratic Socialists of America, also partnering with many of the nonprofits in our coalition. Um, and I think that because we were so militant and we had so many hundreds and hundreds of people joining together to make tweets or call their reps or join rallies or protests Mm -hmm. um, because we were able to make that much outside noise about this bill. um, We were able to get it passed. So I think it really diverged from the typical insider strategy we see of singles in Albany. Um, We also did some pretty unprecedented things like we, Uh, tried to 99 the bill through committee and assembly, which is basically a procedure where you force the bill to come up in committee to a vote um, because a lot of the the chairs were just kind of sitting on the bill um, Mm. and they really did not like that, but they had the the votes to pass it out of committee. It was just a chair, Amy Pollan, who didn't want to bring it to a vote. Um, So we wound up 99ing it through committee and she was very upset to the extent that the assembly leadership has now changed the rules so that 99ing a bill is significantly harder um but i thought that was really cool um and we also like even primaried our own bill sponsor in the senate Uh uh, kevin parker who is the chair of the energy committee um and he is somebody who i think maybe not a lot of people realize takes a ton of money from the fossil fuel industry and you know as the chair of the energy committee he likes to frame himself as a champion on climate issues but in reality, what he's doing is he's sponsoring all of these bills, like the Build Public Renewal, so that he can just sit on them and not move them and ensure they never actually come up to a vote. Um, so we wound up, uh, you know, DSA wound up primarying him in New York City. And I, I think that probably also helps reduce his yeah. opposition because he, he was so afraid of us at that time. So, um, yeah, there, we were definitely pretty unapologetic about um, pushing as hard as we could for this bill. And it paid off. Um, you know, a lot of reps just do not hear from their constituents that they care about climate change. So, yeah. honestly, if you're a Democrat, the most important thing that you can do is call your own rep with others and organize with others to really put pressure on them to make climate change a priority. 
No question about it. And I, you know, as a Democrat, I, I know we have, it's a big tent, as they say. There's the Clinton corporate Democrats, and then there's the I think traditional Democrats who, you know, would be for this, who wouldn't be freaked out by the name Democratic Socialists of America. But I, I wonder, I mean, those, those skittish Democrats, you know, the people in power, the corporate Democrats, uh, <laughs> I've, I've never seen the state house in Albany. I, I can't imagine. I've heard not always good things about the process there. And I forget who said the quote, the public should never be too aware of the making of sausages or laws. Uh, it's a uh, you know it, it can be a messy process there. So how did was was the Democratic State Committee uh, where where did they stand on this? Were they freaked out by it? Did they resist it or did they welcome it? I can't imagine. No, I'll kick us off and then maybe I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Charles, in case I missed anything. But yeah, the uh, the leadership of um, the. They were not um, in support of the bill. I would say on the Senate side, it had some more support, um, but it was there was definitely a ton of opposition. Like some of the main groups opposing the bill were the independent power producers of New York, uh, which private fossil fuel developers as well, because they don't want to lose out on market share to NYPA. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of the kind of corporatist politicians that we have in Albany take so much money from these groups that they were really afraid to move on this bill at all, or even allow NYPA to build as, as Kevin Parker said, a single solar panel. They really acted like it was the end of the world to just remove this artificial restriction that had been placed on NYPA where they were no, not allowed to build more than six projects over 25 megawatts. So, um, there was definitely a lot of resistance, and it took a grassroots pressure campaign uh, to to put it over the top. And what else were you going to say, Charles? Yeah, to kind of build on that, I'll say to kind of you know go on to the Democratic like the, com- the local committees. Mm-hmm. To be outside of a few from New York City, I don't think we really heard from any of the like the state you know the state uh, or the local Democratic committees themselves on the bill per se, this really was like done outside of like the main power structure with a couple with, you know, to be fair with a couple of our, uh, you know, legislative champions. Um, you know, we definitely want to give some of our, uh, you know, DSA, uh, state electeds a lot of credit cause they did do mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, a vote whipping. Um, Bobby Carroll, to be fair, was very, uh, you know, huge in the process. He was the lead sponsor of the assembly. Definitely uh, did a lot for it. And you know there were definitely some champions in both uh, in both legislative houses, but there was a lot to overcome. A lot of you know, just a lot. I think just a lot of inertia and a lot of fear from the leaders and from of people like Amy Pollan and Kevin Parker. And just you know, the reality is at the end of the day, Kevin Parker was largely removed from the equation almost completely because. And turns out Andre Stewart Cousins really, you know, wanted to build a path to the point, yeah, where Kevin Parker really just became irrelevant at the end. And how often do you hear that where, like, yeah. you know, a lead, a lead sponsor becomes irrelevant? <laughs> That's pretty rare. That's true. How I don't even know how big the uh, New York legislature is. I know in New Hampshire we have a ridiculous 400-member House and 24-member Senate. How big is it in New York? It's uh, 150 uh, uh, members of the assembly, assembly, which is kind of our version of the House of Representatives, right. and six members of the state senate. Uh huh. And I'm curious. I know you know 
one of the things that working in the law factory, every word is really important. And I wonder, the term the public good, is that defined in the bill somehow? Is that, I mean, how is the public good defined? Is there a definition? You know, I we don't have, you know, a definition of the public good per se, but we do have a lot of provisions in the bill that, um, you know, we believe will kind of force NIPA to act in the interest of the public good. Um, like it has a lot of very specific provisions around what they can and can't build. Um, we stick with the a uh, very narrow definition of what renewable energy is um, that the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act defines as mostly wind, solar, and small-scale hydro. Um, and we also guarantee a just transition for fossil fuel industry workers in the uh -huh. bill. So uh -huh. essentially, any um, the bill requires NIPA to shut down their dirty fossil fuel plants um, that are known as peaker plants because they really turn on uh, during peak demand. Uh -huh. um, we require them to phase those plants out by 2030, um, which obviously had some union opposition as well. But we were able to work with the AFL-CIO to get labor language that would essentially guarantee that any fossil fuel industry workers who are displaced when those plants shut down are guaranteed a job on building NIPA's renewable projects. Uh -huh. And they get 20 million dollars for retraining um so i think that that we were really fighting for because the governor wanted to strip it away in an earlier vision version in the budget and thankfully both we and ibew were pushing to get that language back in um and it also has a couple guardrails around you know transparency and accountability requiring nipa to do annual reviews of how close we are to meeting that that target of 70% renewable energy by 2030. And mm -hmm. um, it requires NIPA to basically make a plan to build enough projects to meet that goal and also hold annual public hearings on their renewable plans and where they plan to build them. So we hope that this will um, really enable more democratic control over where renewables get cited and how they benefit their host communities, which has definitely been a contentious issue upstate, especially with some of the smaller um, private solar developers who have been kind of locking people into bait and switch contracts where they promise them one thing and then deliver another or they don't get them the bill credits that they're owed or that companies like bright power have been union busting um oh, wow. whereas the build public renewables act really enshrines things like project labor agreements and prevailing wage on all of these projects so um that's just to get it a little bit into the details of the bill and and kind of the the guardrails that we established to make sure that this would be in the public good and we're also going to be um helping to mobilize people to those public hearings once they start happening uh, so that you know, wherever you live in New York state, you can have a voice in where these renewable projects get built. You know, maybe you want to see more, uh, you know, instead of building renewables on farmland, which is always contentious, maybe mm -hmm. you want to see them built on brownfields or landfills or built over, you know, parking lots or already disturbed land, rooftops. Um, there are so many ways that renewables can serve multiple purposes like parking canopies or yeah. agrovoltaics where the solar panels actually help irrigate crops. Um, so I think having more community feedback into what what the renewable build-out looks like will really help reduce opposition and make sure that it benefits everyone. Wow. That, yeah, I, I, 
there's so many places. I, I've seen uh, storage facilities. It's bizarre to me lately in the past few years, there have been so many storage facilities where people store extra stuff. And there's like acres and acres and acres of all these roofs. Uh, shouldn't they have solar panels on them? Wouldn't that make more money? That's just my opinion there. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And our guests today are Amber Ruther and Charles Nieves, who are movers and shakers. It took a lot of heavy lifting, clearly. And we are appreciative of that to pass NIPA, the uh, New York Power Authority uh public power uh, group, uh, law that is, uh, is doing it. So I was wondering how decisions were made about uh, siting of electricity, uh, generating facilities and, and transmission lines and things like that. Because in the past, it's been, you know, just in the corporate boardrooms, which a lot of us don't really care for. And so you, you answer that. That's really interesting. So that in the various towns where a project is being considered, there'll be perhaps public hearings and that people can come out and, and uh, express their interest and their, uh, uh, you know, their suggestions as to how things should be done. I've long believed that the answer to pretty much everything is more democracy, not less. And it seems like that is exactly what's going on here. It's, it's really impressive. T tell, us, tell us, please, about the leadership of the New York City DSA eco-socialist working group. And I, you know, I'm not freaked out by the word socialist. The, the Democratic Socialists of America's eco-socialist working group. What was their role in this? What is their role now? Yeah, so um, the NYCDSA eco-socialist working group was, I would say, the originator of um, the uh, campaign around the Build Public Renewables Act. A lot of our members were the first ones who um, helped brainstorm that idea as a priority campaign for us. Um, because we really viewed it as, you know, a way to take our energy system into public ownership and democratic control. Um, as Charles mentioned, we also had a, a goal to pass a second bill called the Utility Democracy Act, which would have also taken um, utilities on the distribution side into uh -huh. public ownership democratic control and the reason that was such an important issue in like 2018 2019 when this campaign first started was um there was a massive blackout in new york city where con ed um i don't know if you were in new york city at that time but they actually intentionally cut off power in communities of color like canarsie during a heat wave to preserve power in whiter wealthier neighborhoods and we felt that that really wrong. Um, a lot of people were trapped in, you know, elevators or subways and it was just roasting and it was a really dangerous situation, um, that blackout. So um, we found that Con Ed had, you know, neglected to do some basic grid upgrades that they had already been directed to do by regulators. And we really thought to ourselves, you know, if this company, Con Ed, which basically has a private monopoly over our mm utilities, um, then they really are not accountable to the public in any way, especially if they can just ignore what regulators say and get away with it because they give so much money to our politicians. So we really um, still see like taking over the pub the utilities into public ownership and democratic control as, as a major goal. And um, maybe we can also think to, you know, the the current campaigns around public ownership of utilities that we're both involved in, like we imagine LIPA. Um, but just to finish answering your question, you know, that, that group really kind of kicked things off. And, you know, we had 
Um, but then we did a lot of outreach to other groups because we knew we couldn't do it alone. Um, a lot of, you know, other DSA chapters around the state, like I'm in Syracuse DSA and Charles was in uh, DSA on Long Island and did a lot of canvassing and lobbying of our own reps in our own regions um, for the bill. We have a full list of our coalition partners. If you want to check us out at publicpowerny.org slash our partners. And that's a full list of all the nonprofits that we decided to partner with as well, like Alliance for Green Economy, um, you know, Metro Justice, Long Island Progressive Coalition, St. Energy Project, React for Environmental Justice, Sunrise NYC, Energy Democracy Alliance, Food and Water Watch. Um, so many different groups came together to support this bill. And I think we are all really important in getting it over the top. It takes, as they say, a lot of heavy lifting, but uh, many hands make light work, as somebody said. I mean, it's fairly obvious. Now, one of the other things that, that you guys are working on is to decarbonize buildings. And people don't often think about, you know, you see cars, you see uh, electric generating facilities, burning oil or gas or even coal. But people don't think about buildings that much. There's a lot of buildings in New York City. Mm-hmm. What, what, tell us about that effort to decarbonize buildings. What's, what's that about? And what, what's, uh, what's the goal there? Yeah, so um, just uh, you know, energy is not the number one source of emissions in New York State. It's definitely important that we get off of fossil fuels in the energy sector, too. But um, actually, buildings are New York's number one source of climate warming emissions, and they make up anywhere between 32 percent and 40 percent of our emissions, just burning fossil fuels for heating and cooking and hot water um, in buildings. So, you know, now that the Build Public Renewables Act is passed, I feel like we're on the right track in the energy generation sector. But the building sector, we are really still moving in the wrong direction by building new fossil fuel infrastructure like pipelines to take gas to our buildings. And we know gas is not a bridge fuel um, even though the fossil fuel industry loves to ca- call it natural gas and claim it's so much better for the climate, but it's really not because um, it emits methane, which is a much more potent um, greenhouse gas over a 20-year period than CO2 is. So um, we really just need to get off of burning all fuels and electrify all of our buildings and make them efficient. Um, so through my day job at Alliance for a Green Economy, I've been involved in the Renewable Heat Now campaign, and Charles has as well as a volunteer. Um, and we are really dedicated to passing policies and funding that will get off, get us off of fossil fuels and buildings and invest in other solutions like air source and ground source heat pumps, which can both mm-hmm. heat and cool your home, um, and induction or electric stoves. Um, and heat pump water heaters. We really do have all of the technology that we need to get off of fossil fuels in buildings. It's just about creating policies that will enable those um, those technologies to scale up and, and be supported. Um, uh, one major thing that we need to decarbonize our buildings is funding for whole home retrofits because so many uh-huh. New Yorkers are struggling with 
you know, buildings that are dilapidated and falling apart, especially if you have like a negligent landlord um, and have lead or mold or asbestos or just really, you know, repairs that need to be made to the building. Um, all of that generally needs to be done as well as weatherization before you can install a heat pump in a building. So um, one thing that we're fighting for in Renewable Heat Now Coalition is um, funding for whole home retrofits. And then we are also fighting for a bill called the New York Heat Act, um, which will help phase out the gas utility system and also end subsidies that we're all currently forced to pay for new gas hookups through our utility bills. Um, we're all still spending you know, hundreds of millions of dollars per year uh, on this new gas infrastructure to make new gas hookups free. So it would end that subsidy and it would also cap utility bills at 6% of income to address the energy affordability crisis that we're already seeing as a result of these really unaffordable um, gas infrastructure buildouts. And that will really help make sure that the transition is affordable for everyone and also that our utility rates are just more progressive so that we can treat heat and lights more like human rights. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved in the Renewable Heat Now campaign and helping us pass the, uh, the New York Heat Act, definitely feel free to join uh, join Alliance for a Green Economy and become a member. I'm just going to give a quick plug sure. for the membership link, if that's okay. It's uh, bit.ly slash join agree, agree in all caps. Uh -huh. So that's bit.ly slash j-o-i-n-a-g-r-e-e -E, and agree is capital. Or you can give me, um, you know, email me at amber at agreenewyork.org or visit our website at alliance4greeneconomy.org. Um, but that is really the big fight um, right now to get us off of gas for good. Um, and we already helped win the All-Electric Building Act, which will um, make sure that new buildings going forward, starting in 2026 uh, for small buildings, are built without any fossil fuel systems in them at all, which is amazing and such a huge step it forward is. that we're finally saying no new fossil fuel infrastructure in new buildings. But um, I think, you know, our existing buildings are the bulk of the emissions. So that's why the New York Heat Act and this funding for whole home retrofits is so important. Um, and I think another thing that people don't realize is burning fossil fuels in buildings also harms our health. Um, there have been some recent studies showing that, you know, 18.8% of all childhood asthma cases in New York can be attributed to gas stoves. So yeah. um, if you have a stove in your home, you could be increasing your kid's risk of getting asthma or aggravating their symptoms. And it's also linked with dementia and poor birth outcomes and adverse childhood developments, cardiovascular disease, cancer, um, all of that, because gas contains carcinogens like benzene. Um, so it's just, it's just really not good to have these things in our homes to begin with. So, um, yeah, I think getting off of fossil fuels in buildings is going to save people money, but also improve our health, uh, save our planet, and create good green jobs. No question about that. And, you know, in terms of answering the question, what is the public good? I think you've described it, you know, because we can't just do nothing here when it comes to, you know, climate change. This is some serious stuff. And, you know, it takes real action. We can't just, uh, I mean, we could just sit on our hands and, 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 you know, go along to get along. But this is some real interesting stuff here. Um, and I, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when uh, people used to say that, oh, this stuff, the, the uh, 
uh, wind and solar. Oh, it's 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 not you know it's too far out. It's a uh, it's not really going to happen. It's very expensive. It's not competitive in terms of cost. That has changed in recent years, and I think that that's really a big deal. And so I'm thinking that. And is that part of? I mean, the idea of capping utility bills. Well, I you know I have no idea what people pay now as as a portion of their income for electric bills. What it is, uh, I, frankly, I have uh, photovoltaics on my roof, so I know what I pay, uh, which is nothing. But although eh, there's some other preheating systems that I could be better on, I will confess. But uh, how can you cap utility bills at six percent? How did that must have been interesting to come up with that figure of six percent and to have it realistic. Yeah, um, I think, you know, that number is really based on some some research that was done on energy, like household energy burdens. And we found that, you know, many, many households, especially low income and communities of color are spending well over 10 percent of their income on energy bills. And we've seen um, we've seen that crisis just continue to get worse and worse um, with still over a million households unable to afford their current utility bills um, and little to no support from the state for that. Um, and there are so many you know programs like HEAP, but they often have this very harsh income eligibility cutoff. So the people who fall just above that income threshold where they're not eligible for HEAP or the Energy Affordability Program, which can also forgive your utility debt. Um, by the way, if you are struggling with utility debt or high energy bills, um, reach out to the Public Utility Law Project, and they can help you figure out what current programs you qualify for that can help you lower your bills. Um, but we really needed this cap that would apply to everyone, um, I think, to ensure that everybody can afford their, their energy and 6% um, is, was found to be you know, something that would be much more manageable for most households will really ensure that everybody can afford their energy bills um, and make it much more progressive. You're in New York State. A lot of the people who listen to this show are out in the western part of this country, uh, largely Pacifica radio listeners and stuff like that. What can uh, there must be organizations that they can contact uh, in different parts of the country so that this program can be replicable? Oh, yeah, I think, um, you know, there are definitely look for organizations in your area, whether it's an environmental nonprofit or, you know, a DSA chapter in your area. I promise they're always looking for more people to get involved, yeah, always looking true. for new volunteers. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, DSA is great. They have public power campaigns in California as well um, to take their utilities into democratic ownership or democratic control and public ownership, because I know they've had um, huge issues with privately owned utilities there causing wildfires like the campfire oh, that man. have been absolutely devastating um, just because they refuse to invest in basic grid maintenance because it's much more profitable for sure. them not to, um, to just neglect things until they break or explode. So yeah, yeah the many DSA chapters around the country have a campaign for publicly owned utilities. And uh -huh. I definitely want to pass to uh, Charles in a minute to talk about the reimagined LIPA campaign here in New York too. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's that. And then I know there are some national groups, if you're interested in building decarbonization, like um, Rewiring America, NYPERG mm. um, are all part of the Renewable Heat Now campaign. So they can help you um, figure out how to push for things like gas bans um, or whole home retrofits in, in your neck of the woods. Ah, interesting. Well, Charles, like... 
you want to talk about LIPA? Is that it? Um, yes, actually, I would very much like to talk about LIPA. So, um, you know, I hear, you know, we talk about, um, you know, publicly owned utilities. It's interesting because, um, you know, out here in uh, Long Island, we actually have a, uh, we have a, a, we have a corporation called the Long Island Power Authority. Right. And they were actually, as a public authority, nonprofit entity, nonprofit entity, they were meant to be, uh-huh. uh, you know, but because of, uh, you know, various bad deals over the years, they've been, uh, outsourcing their, uh, you know, outsourcing the actual running of the day-to-day grid to private entities. Um, National Grid had their spell for a while. Um, they actually, um, yeah, screwed everything up with uh, with, the, with the Hurricane Sandy in 2012 that was so devastating to the New York and New Jersey coastlines that they had to bring in a new private partner, and that private partner was uh, PSEG Long Island. Well, of course, you know, when the profit motive is the first and foremost thing that you have, things are going to happen. And things did yeah. happen in 2020. Uh, tropical storm Isaias, again, not hurricane, tropical storm Isaias came through. And um, basically hundreds of thousands of Long Islanders were left without power, many for well over a week. And PSEG was very unresponsive in this time. And it's interesting because Long Island has a few small uh, publicly public publicly owned utilities, and in like Rock, in Rockville Center, and I'm, there's another town that I'm getting the name off the top of my head, but oh, Freeport, that's right. And they had their energy restored so much faster than the than the, the privately owned and profit motivated piece. Ah, interesting. So in the aftermath of Isaias, um, several groups came together. Um, the Long Island DSA chapters of Suffolk and Nassau County came together with the Long Island Progressive Coalition, um, Food and Water Watch, and those were really the beginning anchors, but several other groups have joined since then, including Mothers Out Front. But um, yeah, it's really like, <clears throat> you know, those four groups really came together and um Formed what we call the Reimagine Life a Coalition, and basically, uh-huh. the basic premise is that the Long Island Power Authority was meant to be a public good that's not that's putting people before profits. It should live up to that, and it's time to get rid of all the private partners, including PSEG. So we started organizing, and over the course of uh, over the course of about a year and a half, we started being able to show things like including how PSEG was so bad that LIPA themselves were questioning how terrible PSEG was at mm. living up to their promise, even to the point where they had sworn that they had fixed the, the communications and ish, and uh, connectivity issues that led to Isaias. But then when uh, Hurricane Henry was threatening to hit Long Island, luckily for all of us, it bypassed us. But when it was threatening to hit us, ESEC started blasting out warnings saying they were going to have, you know, be getting ready for a uh, seven to 14 day power outages. I'm like, didn't you guys say this was fixed? So, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I do find it interesting, you know, those of us on the left, you know, through the years, there's been a lot of losses where you, you, you raise your voice, you try hard, and you lose. It's nice to win every now and then. It really is. And to have something really good for the common good 
pass and become law. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, more democracy happening in New York State with regard to the New York Power Authority. Our guests today are two of the movers and shakers behind it, Amber Ruther and Charles Nieves. And what about... We, we talked about the legislature a bit. What about Governor Hochul? How, what, tell us, uh, how, where did she fit into this? Was she quiet? Was she for it, against it? Where did she fit in? Ah, uh, yes, Governor Hochul. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you answered the question. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she really publicly never said a lot, but the reality is, like, Sending her handpicked person to lead the New York Power Authority, Justin Driscoll, at that uh, hearing in August to yeah, to to basically uh, dismiss New York Power Authority's role in providing uh, wind and solar spoke volumes about where Hochul was standing at the time, and um, you know Hochul really only gave us BPRA because we fought for it, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you know, she was not, she, you know, her inclination is to go private all the way whenever possible. Oh, and even announcing in the middle of it uh, deals with Amazon. And it's just like, you know, you're, you know, how many, how many people in New York are struggling with their utility bills and you're cutting deals with freaking Amazon? Mm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, yeah. That that yeah. says a lot. I I kind of I I don't know her particularly well, but I kind of had that impression was the case. And I just, you know, unions have taken a hit through the years. They they were really down, but it, since the end of the Trumpist era, we've seen a resurgence. There's a growing power of unions in America. Do you think that reflects a sense of power and possibilities in working class America? What does that say about? what we're talking about here, taking the political and electrical power back. Yeah, um, I will say that, you know, I was part of kind of our labor outreach team for the Public Power New York Coalition. And, um, you know, from the very beginning in, in like 2018, when we first drafted the bill, we were reaching out to unions that would be impacted like IBEW and UWUA to um, try to get their feedback on the bill and what labor language and just transition provisions they would want to see. Um, and they were definitely very hesitant to meet with us and I can understand why. Um, You know, I think there's historically been a lot of tension between labor and environmental movements. Um, Labor labor very much views um, it as, you know, just coming for their jobs and getting rid of their job. um, We took the very intentional approach of saying, no, we, we want to make sure that, you know, there is a truly just transition for you that your you and your family will continue to have a steady income and we want to work with you to figure out how to make that happen. And it took a long time for them to come to the table. We really had to build a lot of our own power and get the bill really close to passing for them to take us seriously enough to meet with us. But, um, you know, I think that combines with being able to meet people like Pat Goodies from IBW 1049 right. in person on Long Island, which Tim and Charles helped out a lot with, um, and build that personal relationship and trust over time um, that we were really looking out for their interests as well. Um, I, I think that was great and got them to neutrality on the bill. And then we were able to get more active support from 
uh, you know, unions like NYSIT, the Teachers Union, uh, UUP, PSC CUNY, uh-huh. 1199 SEIU, because a lot of those workers are like healthcare workers that live in neighborhoods oh, sure. that are directly impacted by these really polluting gas peaker plants that are causing asthma and all these horrible diseases. Um, And UAW Region 9A also came out in support of the bill. So we did definitely get some labor support. It took a lot of hard work and conversations, but um, it does give me hope that, you know, we can continue to build bridges with labor, which is something we've also been doing at Agree. You know, we also worked with um, the Pipefitter Union Uh on a proposal in the budget um, in addition to VPRA that was called Upgrade New York, which will require the New York Power Authority to build 15 thermal energy networks to decarbonize the state's uh, most polluting building campuses. So um, the unions really like thermal energy networks because they're essentially a system of pipes that will carry um, heat energy through water instead of fossil fuels. So Uh it uses all of the same skills that the pipe fitting skills that their workers already have. So it's much easier for them to transition into a role like that and stay in their union and keep their pension and benefits and all of that. Um, And so through conversations with them, we were really able to, to make this a reality and have several thermal energy network pilots throughout New York state being built right now. Well, that's, that's great. And I will tell you, I have to say it's not just people on the left who do this. I, I never forget when I was in the state Senate here in New Hampshire, it was when they were talking about municipalizing what had been a private for-profit water utility. It was the Republicans pushing for that. And I'm, I'm guessing that you know, it's not just people on the left who support this stuff, but people out in the, I mean, New York is a huge state geographically. And I can imagine it might have a lot of appeal to, uh, you know, conserve, not right wing Republicans, but genuine conservative Republicans. Did, did you find anything like that in New York state? Hello? Well, I would say that's reflected in the legislature itself. But in regards to like, the people, um, yeah, yes. we've had some polling done. On like 68 percent of the uh, you know of uh, New York State was very much in favor uh-huh. of EPRA, uh-huh. which was actually because we actually used that a couple times in some of our you know in some of our promotional materials because we said more people were in favor of EPRA than voted for Hoko, which I believe was 53 <laughs> percent that voted for Hoko. So. Why am I not surprised? That's impressive, though, I must say. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us today. If people, what can, Just a couple of uh, places people can go on the, on the Internet, the, the, the web thing. What can you suggest for people want to look into uh, what they can do in their part of the world? I mean, a couple of things I would say. One is, you know, definitely, um, you know, if you're looking for ideas, you know, definitely check out what we're doing with uh, Reimagine Life. Reimagine Life. It's uh, public.org. Okay. And, you know, also just, you know, look around, like Andrew was saying before, look around and like what environmental groups or DSA chapters or, uh, you know, groups like that. You know, believe it or not, a lot of times they are out there. They just, you know, they'll just, they're always looking for volunteers. So, yeah, I would definitely say, uh, yeah, look at what your local groups and your, you know, yeah, spend a little, you know, spend maybe a few minutes with the Internet and see what your local groups are that are out there. Think locally, act globally. That's how I tell you. It, it does work. Thank you so much. And again, it's good to hear some good news. Amber, you about to say something? Yeah, just a, a few other quick plugs. You know, uh, if you're looking for nationwide groups, you know, a really good sure. one that has chapters in every single state is Food and Water Watch. Um, uh-huh. And we work 
with them a lot on the renewable heat now campaign. They're great. Um, and we'll really, um, you know, plug you into calling your reps and things like that. And again, if you want to live in New York state, feel free to join us at Alliance for green economy as a volunteer member. Um, you can also join the renewable heat now campaign directly at renewableheatnow.org slash join. And you can there are also quick and easy email tools on that website where you can email your reps in support of the New York Heat Act. Um, also encourage everyone following us on Twitter to find out what is going on and how you can help. Um, Agree is at Agree New York and uh, Renewable Heat Now is at Renewable Heat Now with no E after the L. And then Public Power New York Coalition is at Public Power NY. And we're going to be, you know, continuing to organize around implementation of the Build Public Renewables Act and making sure that there's good um, attendance at public hearings. So uh, we're truly getting sure. democratic results. Um, and yeah. So On, onward and upward. This is some good stuff. Very, very encouraging. Thank you for the work you've done so far. And uh, boy, it's a hell of a good start. Thank you so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive. Hey, thank you thank so much. You. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple, Spotify, Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.